0: Jewish Audio on Chabad.org.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to In Conversations with Chana. I'm Chana Weisberg. I'm editor of the Jewishwoman.org. And in these conversations, we meet with incredibly inspiring people. Today, my guest is Rabbi Gershon Schusterman, who is the author of the book, Why God, Why? How to Believe in Heaven When It Hurts Like Hell. Rabbi Schusterman, thank you so much for joining us. My honor. So your wife passed away suddenly um, when she was 36 years old and she left a house full of children. I think it was 11 children. The youngest was just toddlers. The, uh, The oldest was 16 years old. 14. 14, okay, 14 years old. That's quite a bit to deal with. Can you tell us a little about what that felt like and what your journey has been like?
0: What it felt like, uh, it felt like the term "the bottom" had fallen out, and I was in free fall. Uh, when you're married and you have a wife and a good wife and a mother of your children, it carries so much so much of those responsibilities. So I can be free to do my shlichus as a shliach running running a, a large school. Um, when you're wife suddenly exits unexpectedly, uh, it's like half of yourself is amputated and you are emotionally and off balance. You don't feel normal and you have to find out, uh, are you normal? You know, thank God I, I have enough for, I had enough fortitude then to keep moving, to take care of my children, to keep running this school. Um, and I was engaged. Uh, I wouldn't say from dawn to dusk, I would say from pre-dawn until midnight, very busy with my responsibilities, which now had to a certain extent doubled. And, uh, left little time for uh, uh, introspection, left little time to focus on oneself because one had to deal with what one had in front of one. Uh, But as time moved on, I had to deal with a lot of issues. I had to deal with myself too. I actually went to therapy to find out how to get a framework for the new normal, which didn't feel at all like the old normal,
1: well, in a way, you know, I mean, you were so busy running things like you, you write about the book uh, in the book that you you were so busy taking care of everyone because there were so many people to take care of. You had your children, you had the school, you had your work cut out, your congregants, your people that you were looking at that you were in a p- position of leadership. So you you kind of just went you, you continued going and you, you describe in the book how years later you're you're. Current wife, your new wife, um, asked you, "How are you? How are you really?" And it was then that you realized that you had to stop and, and get the therapy.
0: So, it was. I have to say, it wasn't. She asked a good question. How are you? Uh, in the middle of the day, and the first time in the years that we had, we were. Thousands, we were in in the Old City, we were far, far away from our regular responsibilities, so you can actually breathe deeply and think deeply, and we're walking in that area in Yerushalayim, if you know the area called Rothschild Square in the Old City, just off the parking lot on the right side, um, and she said, how are you? Said, that's, a, that's, that's a strange question to ask you. It, 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 out of nowhere, and I said, I'm fine, Baruch Hashem but she is a wiser woman than I, and she looked me in the eyes and in, in, into me and said, how are you really? And what happened after that wasn't an intellectual uh, integration of the depth of her question. It touched some part of me that actually I, I got dizzy. The, 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 this, everything was turning around me. I, you know, you hear those stories, people uh, they have their life zooms uh, scrolls across their, their 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 eyes or their mind. Uh, it wasn't my life. It was the last years from the time my work my wife passed away to that moment. I just saw that in a almost in a blink of an eye.
1: How much time I, had passed since your wife had passed away at that point?
0: It was about four years. Wow. And uh, I, I'm not a psychiatrist. I cannot. Uh, give a clinical name was it a Uh, it wasn't a breakdown but it was a breakdown so let's just give it the Schusterman style breakdown (laughs) I realized I need to talk to uh, I don't don't think a Mashpia would have done that well because I didn't lose my faith in God until I found out after speaking to this therapist for intensely for two hours a day uh, I think for, for uh, over the course of a week or 10 days, I realized that uh, I had not adequately grieved. And, to, and because of my busyness during all this time, um, my relationship with Hashem, which as, a, as the person that I was until my wife passed away, uh, I'm not going to say I was the world's biggest chassid, but I had a good relationship with Hashem. It was, as I mentioned someplace in the book, it wasn't I I and thou, uh, but it was, you, you talk to Hashem. We're not breast lovers that we talk to Hashem uh, in, in in Yiddish or in English. But I had a good relationship when I davened. I knew who I'm davening to. And it seems that um, while I kept the outer shell of who I was as a Yid, uh, intact, I didn't compromise any of my behaviors, but my my heart uh, was distanced from Hashem, and I, and I can only say I had a grudge against Hashem. Yeah, understandably, sure. And that grudge clouded the intimacy that a yid needs to have with Hashem, right. uh, and that how I grew up and how I experienced life up until uh, that. That day, in, 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 when my wife passed away, but it was interesting
1: God. that you say that. Like a, a mashbia or a spiritual mentor, for those we, we just want to translate everything, a spiritual mentor wouldn't have helped you, but you wanted an actual therapist. What do you see the role in terms of therapy versus our own spirituality and our own journey in Judaism? Like, where do you see it fitting in, and how did the therapist help you?
0: Well. Um, They are actually complementary, and I don't think the title is as significant as the wisdom and the life experience and the ability to bring out from the uh, client, as it were, to be able to articulate what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once you can get a handle on that... Then, uh, you know, once you open the closet, you take out the the spider webs and and you air it out. Then things get a lot better, and that's really what it was. Uh, if there was a mashpia, certainly I was in Yerushalayim, uh, in in distant from my, my from my community. I, but I don't know if I would have found a mashpia. And I've had good mashpia, but I, I don't know if I've had a mashpia. I could have delved into it as a neutral, objective, wise. Uh, and good therapists are difficult to find. And I was fortunate. I knew of this person from who lived in West L.A. before, so I was aware of the person. I met them at events, but I didn't know them personally. But they were good, and, and it worked. And It was it just,
1: pretty intense therapy. It was like a few days of really intense therapy where you just – was it a blockage that they just were able to open up? Like, how would you describe it?
0: I wouldn't say opening a blockage as much as helping me articulate to myself what mm-hmm. I am feeling.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: As a, as an observant Jew, and as, I don't know if I like the word religious as much as I like the word observant, mm-hmm. uh, but as a, let's borrow the term religious and observant Jew, uh, it almost seems that uh, being angry at God or having a grudge against God is so out of place. Uh, so when you are angry at God and you have a grudge against God, you deny it to yourself, which is what I was doing. Right. And I was saying everything is just fine. Uh, I am putting on fill on every day. I am keeping kosher. I am keeping Shabbos. I just heard a story about somebody who had a tragedy and, and on Shabbos, he came home and one time he turned on all the lights in his house and turned them off just okay. to show he's angry. He's angry. Um, no. uh, which uh, I am sure Hashem knows, takes all those things into consideration. And a, a person is not, the, the, the Gemara says, that a per, the Talmud says a person is not held culpable for blasphemy that they may utter in a time of tragedy. Well, this guy didn't utter blasphemy, but he blasphemed with his fingers, turned on the lights and turned off the lights. I didn't do that. But uh, inside, there was something out of whack for who I was.
1: So, you know, you you also write about how You know, throughout the years, you had always been helping people in your situation, going through tragedies, going through bereavement, going through grief. You know, you were the rabbi that people turned to. You were the so-called address, kind of the lawyer to God. And yet when it came to your own tragedy, it was different. Why was it different? And does that mean that it wasn't real before? Like, how would you explain that? You know, because sometimes we're so good at explaining things to others And yet, when it comes to our own situation, it's hard to apply it. So how would you
0: explain that? Well, simply put, you know, when you talk to people, you impart information. Mm -hmm. You also impart feeling. Uh, When you don't, when you haven't had the experience that the person you're speaking to is having, You can't. You can sympathize, but you really can't empathize because you're not in their shoes, and having never having had that kind of a up close and personal tragedy, I couldn't come from my mind and as much as my heart that was compassionate, but do I can can could I have said I feel you know. They express, I feel your pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have been uh, sophistry. I didn't feel their pain adequately until you, uh, until, until I experienced that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I it's not in the book. I have a I had a friend is Oliver Shalom today, a great guy. Uh, he was a neurologist. He was a wise man. He was, he learned Afyaymi and he, he, he learned everything that he can get his hands on in addition to his medical practice. And then he got into a condition. I will just say that he spent 14 months in Cedar Sinai Hospital, one of the biggest hospitals in, in, in LA and, and a world class hospital, uh, because he needed to be in the hospital for his condition. And his, his, I knew him from Long Beach, where I lived, which is almost 30 miles from L.A. I was the go-to guy when his family couldn't get him and he needed something. I lived three miles from, from Cedars-Honey Hospital. I would drive down and visit with him. And he also considered me his mashpia, his spiritual mentor, even though, truth be said, he was much more spiritually attuned than I was. But I, I... I Sincerely played that role for him, and I came to him one that day was for something specific, and he says I need to ask you something. And um, I'm not going to give a lecture here, but that happened to be the day that, in Chitas, in the daily learning of of Tanya, there was the uh, what they call Epistle Number Eleven, which is a very profound and deep and demanding a letter from Rabbi Schneir's Alman of Ladi the First of Baruch Rebbe which demands total commitment to Hashem and there's nothing that's bad and, and if you really believe in Hashem and trust in Hashem uh, you will see it as good and here he is his leg had recently been amputated he's been in the hospital for 10, 11, 12 months by then And he's asking me to explain it to him. Well, I am his designated Mashpia, so I had to do it. And I was able to explain it to him. I spoke to him 10 minutes, focusing in on the depth and the significance of each of the details. And uh, he was satisfied. Wow. And I left. And as soon as I left his room... I burst out qu- crying. I, I cried, not for his suffering, but for my preaching or teaching something that I I wasn't there. I, I asked myself, if I was in his situation, would I integrate what I just said to him? I, I'm not. I wasn't sure. So that that's the answer to the question. What did I learn? I. I I learned the depth of tragedy, and to how to reconnect to Hashem. And people ask me, "Why did you write the book?" I said, "When I needed this kind of understanding and the emo- not not the intellectual understanding, but the emotional understanding, I couldn't find it in a book. Mm-hmm. Today there are more books. That I don't know that they focus on the person, the personal side." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said to myself, you know, if I paid the heavy tuition and took this difficult course and came with and now have the information, I need to share it with others so they don't have to search far and wide and not find it. Maybe this book will serve that purpose.
1: Wow. Wow. So I, I find it interesting that you say that you left the room of your friend and you cried because you weren't at that state in your mind. You hadn't achieved that, that you could say that God is good. You weren't comfortable with saying that. And yet you wrote in your book, and I want to quote this because I found it so quite amazing. You write, I will now make a statement that readers will find unnerving, upsetting, and maybe even crazy. Based on everything I have experienced in life, including the traumatic loss of my own dear wife at a young age, and based on all I have studied and learned to be true, I believe." that there is no such thing as an absolutely bad occurrence. How bad something is will depend on your perspective, and that perspective is likely to be limited. How do you see that? How do you see that what happened to you? I mean, you're basically saying that what happened to you and what happened to your children's mother and what happened to your wife was not bad, was good.
0: Because people grow and mature in different ways, Uh, and it's hard for me. But I, I will answer your question as straightforward and as bluntly as I can. But for people, for when the Mishnah says, "Do not console a person when his deceased is in front of him," the Mishnah is giving a very graphic advice. When the person is in the throes of his tragedy, don't speak to him, don't tell him God is good. And and people do come to a Shiva house and offer condolences of that type, which can only, and, and, and uh, many people who have sat Shiva have experienced that, and they can only say, how inappropriate to be saying that at a time like this. Though, though yeah. that which is said is absolutely true. And mm-hmm. if you wait a year or two or three and discuss it with that very same person, they will say, yep, that's true.
1: So I have, Do you think that people will always find the good? I mean, sometimes we go through no. such a tragedy and we don't see the good. Yeah. So
0: sometimes... It's good enough for me that sometimes some some people find that that which was terrible uh, can, I'm not going to say, you know, a miracle happens and something, because of that they won the lottery or whatever. I'm I'm not going in that. I'm talking on a a, uh, psychological and emotional level. Sometimes we we
1: can see how it was the impetus of growth or we can see how that changed us or that formed us. That's true. But sometimes
0: we don't. You know, Sometimes we don't. We don't. That. Sometimes we don't. I will always use the term "we don't yet." Mm-hmm. I don't know what tomorrow brings. Uh, again, if I was asked, if I decided I want to write this book, uh, my wife passed away when I was thirty-eight. If I decided at the age of forty that I want to write this book, it would not have been this book. Mm-hmm. It would not have had my personal experience, my personal aforementioned breakdown, which gave me much more depth for myself, Uh, and I have another, that was in 1986, between 1986 and today, a lot has happened to me, which has given me the tools to articulate that which I do articulate in the book. We have a principle, and I'm going to talk about two levels of God. One, and I think I mentioned it in the book, the God in the world, that is a God who is good, we believe he's good, even when not everything that he does do we perceive as good at the time. And, you know, the, the, this, the, the common and simple analogies is a child is not always happy with the behavior of the parent towards them. Anybody who has raised children has had uh, 1,000 experiences from the age of two when the child learned the word no, until while they go through adolescence, it gets deeper uh, and it gets complicated. And then uh, when the child uh, at the age of 20 and 21 and 22 uh, matures, they say, I now understand that that which I perceived as bad was actually for my benefit. Uh, If that is true in the little world of a parent and a child, how much more so would that be in relation to God? Um, God is the creator. We are the creature that God created. Uh, God created the the values and the framework of everything of our lives. Um, So he certainly abides by them. Uh, But the the distance.
1: what about when tragedy breaks somebody? What about when a suffering actually breaks somebody? I mean, you know, thank God you are the way that you are and hopefully your children went through the trauma and they recovered and they grew stronger because of it. But what about a situation where you don't see that, where it actually breaks somebody for the rest of their life?
0: That is a very, very good question and a difficult question to answer. I have spoken about that to to try to understand it for myself. Um, and I have an answer in the book, which is maybe not a perfect answer, but my answer in the book is, what is the term? Torah al-Harov tadaber. The Torah sets it out for us and God gave us a manual for life that will address every situation. And in Torah, there is the wisdom to live in the presence of God even in a state of tragedy. Except if the person hasn't been properly exposed to Torah. God can't teach each person personally uh, and a lot of people who don't have background. I fortunately had a broad uh, Jewish and Hasidic uh, a good outlook at life and and unfortunately or fortunately I was prepared for something like this even though I never dreamt of it. Uh, the people who don't have the tools for that uh, it is that's why we want to reach out to every Jew to expose them to 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 the values of Torah, which will give them fortitude that they should never have to need to have a relationship with Hashem. When you have a relationship with Hashem, even in difficult times, uh, you can be upset at Hashem, you can be angry at Hashem, you can yell at Him, uh, but you can remain friends. A good marriage has its difficult moments,
1: I want to actually quote because i ha- I have it in my notes here, and I quote what you were what you're saying, what you're referring to from your book. Um, and I have a question on it, because you write, some readers may be skeptical of the idea that God gives only t- that God only gives us difficulties that we can handle. One idea to consider is that God has endowed humanity with divine guidance, the tools, of spiritual connection, and support. Unfortunately, many people lack those tools and have not been taught the divine guidance and philosophy. That could be psychologically life-saving for them. I think this is what you're referencing that too. Precisely. People drop their religious foundation, their ship is sinking, and they but they heedlessly punctured a hole in their life jackets. They blame God for the crisis, but really the fault lies with the authority figures, parents, religious teachers, leaders who failed to transmit them, or worse, summarily, summarily dismiss them. God is the source of our divine guidance, but God's management style is not to actively intervene. He relies on people and society to pass on these precious teachings. When we fail, widespread misery results. So my question is, why would a loving God allow that to happen? And if he's running the world and sees these results that these people are not doing what they should be doing, Why is he not intervening?
0: Because God's, part of God's plan is to give mankind and each individual freedom of choice. But
1: do these people have even freedom of choice if they haven't been given, you know, if they haven't been given the teachings or or the mentors to teach them? Like, it sounds like they're... They're not even given the choice to succeed because they haven't been given the tools. Is that their fault that they haven't been given the tools?
0: It's not their fault. And if you, the, 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 the segment that you just quoted puts the blame on the, those who should have taught. Right. Those who should have taught them um, uh, are responsible. And that's why uh, today, today is the first day of the rest of our lives. Today, it is the responsibility of those who can teach and can impart good values of of the type that we're talking about will protect people going forward. But if I'm a
1: parent to my child and I see that my child is in a class where the teacher is not giving them the tools, hopefully I'll take my child out of that class. Where is God to take? Why isn't God taking us out of that situation and providing the mentors that will provide the solutions or that will provide at least the enlightenment
0: so we can cope with it. Because then, and why would you stop only in tragedy? There are so many other areas where God could intervene. And the more self-centered you are, uh, the more you would want God to intervene. The child Mm -hmm. who sits on his bed at the age of four and say, mommy, dress me. No, you can dress yourself. You're not two, you're four. You're a big boy now. Uh, you ever see a parent teaching a child how to ride a two, ride a two wheeler, and you have to initially walk along, and at a certain point, the kid goes on his own, and after fifteen feet, uh, fifteen feet, he falls off the bike, right. and if he didn't have that experience, you get back on the bike, and you learn how to ride a two wheeler. We are supposed to, we, we are supposed to be the masters of our decision making and not we have values but and which give, give us courage, give us uh, trust that this will work out uh, but God wants us. But if make-
1: you see that same child you know going down a mountain where he's gonna really you know fall and tragically hurt himself,
0: you probably will stop him, won't you? Uh, I, I, I certainly w- will, but then life doesn't work quite that way. In, as as it does with a in the next fifteen seconds, I have to stop that uh, runaway bicycle. Uh, right. The issues are, you know, it takes years of building up the the wisdom and the knowledge and the resilience. And, uh to to be to able to cope with tragedy that we hope never will happen but right. God wants us to have that in us and God wants you and I and teachers and uh, to prepare people for for life and right. pray that they never have a tragedy to need all that wisdom and strength right.
1: Um, You also, you you speak about the three things that are difficult to reconcile. And I found that very, um, very true. You know, one, that God is powerful and runs the world as he pleases. Two, that God is good. And three, that evil exists as good. How can we reconcile all these three? And you want to explain how it's it's difficult to reconcile them all.
0: Uh, Yeah. It is difficult to reconcile them all, um, and well, that that's why it, <laughs> that's why it's in the book. Um, right, because if
1: God is powerful and runs the world, like you were saying, and you write in your book how some, you know, the book uh, "Why Bad Things Happen to Good People" is not really based on, on on Judaism, because if God is powerful and runs the world, and God is good, then how can evil exist? Right. So how would you reconcile all of that?
0: Here again, I started before, I don't know if I finished the idea about two levels of God. The God in the world, um, we have to try to figure out how the purpose of God's plan is uh, supersedes our definition of our experience. Uh, borrowing a line from the 12-step uh, world, uh, things that happen to, things don't happen to us, they happen for us.
1: Mm.
0: Meaning when a bad thing happens, uh, it is for our benefit. And maybe we just don't have the maturity right now. Um uh, there's a story in the story that the, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rabbi Yosef Schneerson, he was arrested in 1927 for promulgating and being the backbone of Judaism uh, in, in this early uh, Soviet era. And he was arrested and sentenced to death. And he described, he was a great, besides being a great tzaddik and a great leader, he was also a great writer. And he describes in detail his feelings as he was being led out to the police uh, vehicle that was going to take him uh, to the worst prison in, 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 in Russia. And he was thinking. His mother lived with the family. He was thinking of his mother. He was thinking of his wife. He was thinking of his daughters. He was thinking of the Hasidim. He was thinking of his Secretary who had all the secrets of, of what they were doing. And great as he was, and strong as he was, he burst out crying. Mm-hmm. To cry means that your current state of psyche is overwhelmed and doesn't and cannot adequately process what's going on. Right. But he didn't stop there. Then he sa- he continues, suddenly I realized who is doing this? This is from Hashem. This is from God. I, de- I did and do that which is incumbent on me. And God does, and this this is a very difficult phrase, and God does as he sees fit. Mm-hmm.
1: I'll
0: get back to that in a minute, and if I forget, remind me. And these thoughts, the Rebbe says, raised me up from the mud and garbage that I was in at that moment being arrested, and took me up to a heavenly plane. And that, and then there is an ellipsis. The idea doesn't end or it doesn't end in writing, what the Rabbi thought further. And to me, this little anecdote, I am uh, 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 not even a pygmy in the presence of the Freitic Rabbi, who was a giant of giants and that what that which he says as painful as it is is extremely comforting to me knowing mm-hmm. that even a rebbe can go through that and has to defer we do what we have to do that doesn't change and god does as he sees fit mm-hmm. now that as he sees fit there see, now i'm getting to the higher level of god there's the god that relates to us that we don't understand, like the child doesn't understand the parent. And maybe we'll never understand the parent, but there's other elements of God that are totally transcend reason. In other words, God, the unknowable, that's a different level of God, the the essence of the creator. The Talmud has those stories where Rabbi Akiva was having his skin flayed off him. And on one level, Rabbi Akiva was busy saying Shema and accepting the unity of God at that time. And the angels were yelling uh, and, and Moshe complained to God, is this the reward for this Rabbi Akiva? And the response was not a pleasant one. Be silent. This is what entered my mind or which means it is in a transcendent level in god's mind as it were this is beyond man's understanding and you know rabbi akiva's dying as the talmud describes it the holocaust which is the tragedy of tragedy of tragedies we as humans uh shouldn't even try to integrate that into some understanding, because we understand it, uh, that in some way rationalizes it and and makes it good. It doesn't. Nothing nothing could and nothing should. There are times uh, we are duty-bound to try to understand God so that we can adequately appreciate him. At the same time, There are times that we know we have to submit and say, God, we can't understand you. Uh, You are great. And maybe I have to refer to you as God, the transcendent, perfect existence, rather than God, the good God. The good God is the other one that we don't understand, but he's good, practical. But you are beyond that. The level that God created, the values of good and evil, transcend good and evil. That's a higher level, and that's beyond us. We can't even comprehend the framework we have to submit. So
1: in submitting, are we saying that, you know, we believe in a God that isn't a good God or that isn't a loving God? Because why would a loving God who's capable, you know, you you write also about this. You actually quote from the Rebbe, how the Rebbe said, If God is capable of everything, why can't he provide good without the bad? And if his Torah answers all questions, why does it not answer this? And then he answers, there can only be one answer. He does not wish us to know, because if we knew, we might not consent and let such a world be. So does that mean that we should believe in this God that isn't? I mean, if God could do... Like you explain, God could teach a child, you know what He's teaching the child, and sometimes you have to teach a child through pain. But if God could do that without the pain, then why isn't He?
0: When the Rebbe said that talk, he said it bawling. The Rebbe was crying. It wasn't a talk. It was. The, the Rebbe was crying deeply when he said those words that you just quoted uh, which is reminiscent or related to the, the Frida Rebbe crying when he was let out to his arrest to his, to, 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 in his arrest but you're a good interviewer and you're zeroing in on the good God and the caring God and um, And that is the paradox. That is the paradox. Uh, That's why I, I snuck in a phrase, the transcendent perfect God is different than the good God and the caring God. And it is the same God who has contorted himself into our World and into our value system, and it is that God, as we, that persona of God, that we relate to and we see as the God, the good and caring God. Hmm. Uh, but if we take a step back, the transcendent God, which is the God before creation. Um, It is beyond our values and our experience, and we can no longer try to understand uh, because why in the world should a human little creature be able to understand that level of God? So in the book, when I talk about it, and there's one footnote, I wonder if you have a page bent in over there, I avoid using the word good and I use the word purposeful. Everything that God does is purposeful, and it's easy for, easier for me to say this tragedy, which is incomprehensible and absolutely uh, wrong for it to have to have happened. Uh, and I will not attempt to attribute any goodness to it. Heaven forfend. That would be an insult to the person suffering, and it would be an insult to God who causes it. But I will... Words are very valuable tools with which to understand it is purposeful, uh, even though I can't understand how it can possibly be good.
1: So is it okay not to look at things that God did as good? but rather purposeful. Not to see a tragedy in retrospect as good, but rather see it as purposeful, but I don't know the purpose.
0: Yeah, yeah. And hope one day, maybe that God will uh, shine some light into our lives, that we will see it, or in the hereafter, or when Mashiach comes. Hmm. Because that, that is in a different dimension. But in the human dimension, we have to be, you know, I'm not going to elaborate, but the famous story with Reb who li- lived a very difficult life, and the Ba'ashem sent a disciple to learn from him, to have trust in Hashem, he says, and the Rav Zusha asked the disciple, why did he send you to me? Nothing is wrong in my life. Not everyone is like that. We who suffer pain have to say, ouch. We who feel betrayed by God, are allowed to speak to God, I, I humbly say, and to speak back at God. Avraham Avinu did it, Moshe Rabbeinu did it, uh, Yirmiya did it, uh, Yiv did it, and they did it because of their intense commitment to God. They challenged God, why don't you live up to the standards that you set out for us and that you said that that you abide by those standards. Right. And in the end of Job, in the end of Eov, God doesn't answer him. He just poetically describes God's transcendence as a creator and how could you think that you can understand me?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we have to live with that paradox. But
1: So, live with the paradox of, on the one hand, not knowing God, and on the other hand,
0: live with the paradox of knowing that God is transcendent and unknowable, Mm -hmm. and at the same time, relating to the God that came down to us and gave us the blessing, all the blessings of life, and all the values of life which make life meaningful, all the Uh, wisdom of Torah that gives us strength and resilience Mm -hmm. and and hope that one day we will be able to fit what we are experiencing into the term the good and caring God, knowing that if need be we have to fall back on the unknowable God and that everything that he does is for a purpose, even though we are not privy to that purpose.
1: Mm. So
0: Can we be angry at God? If we experience experience anger, if that's what we're feeling, we not only can be angry at God, we should be angry at God and we should speak it out to God. Mm -hmm. You can speak it out to God in your own terminology, in Hebrew, Yiddish, English, or Swahili, whatever language you speak, uh, as if you were talking to a friend. Um, to, to shut it down is like a couple who are married, they love each other, they're involved with each other, and they have a spat, or they have a fight. And either they can talk it through and work it out, or they can each go back into their corner with their backs facing each other, and uh, not deal with it, which often will indicate that this marriage is not integrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, to say that people never have a fight in in a that to fight in a marriage doesn't happen. It happens. Uh, it's not a question if, if there's going to be a fight, but to fight correctly. And when you fight correctly, you come to a deeper and sometimes even a more intimate understanding of each other. When you turn your back, uh, nothing positive comes from that. Uh, yeah. So what would a correct fight with God be? Well, our role models is Avram Avinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, Yirmiya and Yiv. Learn Learn the stories in the Torah, how they fought. They fought because they believed, not they fought against God. They fought with God. God, Mm -hmm. you set up the rules. We're on your side. We're on the same team. But why am I not seeing your kind and caring goodness as you are presented? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And you may get deeper and be able to say, well, I have to submit. Uh, Maybe tomorrow something will happen. Mashiach should come tomorrow. We'll understand it just think for a moment, we have been through 3,300 years of Jewishness, Judaism, of the Jewish religion. We have almost 2,000 years of exile. Uh, The persecutions that we have suffered Mm. uh, have, yes, in some cases, uh, detracted people from continuing in the path of Yiddishkeit. Uh, But by and large, there was always the or, there were always those who, who identified with what I said, uh, God, we don't understand you always and especially when there was a pogrom, uh, it's a personal Holocaust if not uh, the, the 1940s Holocaust, uh, but they kept trucking and they kept the faith literally and figuratively and that's why we are here. You and I are talking about these values that Jeremiah complained to God, and David and Tillam cried about this again and again. And he didn't—not all the—and and, but you know, knowing this, it gives you emotional strength and fortitude and resilience to to get through it, even without understanding, mm-hmm. and wow. you can feel, and you can still feel closeness to God. And God's embrace in the tragedy. Think of a, uh, running at a Think of a child who uh, a little child who was in the store and he took a candy off the shelf. The mother said, put it back. And, and in the middle of the supermarket the kid says to his mother, Mommy, I hate you! Mm. And five minutes later the kid is running around and he bruises his knee and runs to his mommy and embraces his mommy. Uh, you can I, I, we shouldn't say, God, I hate you. But we can be angry at God and feel God's embrace through the anger and through the disappointment.
1: Thank you. Um, is there something that, final question, is there something that you would like to tell your younger self now that you know now who was going through the tragedy? Is there something that you learned or that you feel now with, you know, decades of experience that you could say to your younger self? that you wish you had known then?
0: Um, I'm not sure because I had to go through the process. I don't think you can short, you can, there's, there's no way to, to skip the no Right. There's no shortcuts, you gotta go through it.
1: Right, right, got it. Okay, Why God Why? An excellent book by Rabbi Gershon Schusterman. Rabbi Schusterman, what would you say this is really the final question. What would you say you want people to learn or gain from the book? I mean, why, why did you write it, really? And what do you want people to take away from it?
0: Well, for people who are, are uh, who, or who had and are under the influence of a difficult period or tragedy, uh, read the book because it will give you frameworks to work things through. I hope for everybody not to have tragedies, uh, but it's still worthwhile to read the book because it gives you a framework of having a relationship with God, which is in, in some ways an antidote and a uh, 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 it gives you the strength not to fall off the wagon uh, when things are difficult. Right. Wow.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Schusterman, and wishing you only good times from now on. And thank you so much for the tools and the guidance that you provide in this book, Why God Why, that helps us to, because we all go through some kind of tragedy or suffering. So whatever that tragedy, it doesn't have to be huge. It can feel very huge. Sometimes we can all gain insight and comfort and healing from your book. Thank you so much, Rabbi Shusterman, for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me on your program.